Okay, so, you know, I, go, I want to, let's get one thing clear. I'm Pentecostal. I'm used to noise, okay? So if you sit there quietly, you make me nervous. But if you make, you know, a little bit of noise, I won't mind. I will not be offended, I promise you. Or some signs of life, you know, because the God's kingdom is made of living stones, not tombstones. So, okay, let's all stand up a little bit. Praise God. Let's all stand up together. Can you do something? Let us shout a little bit. Can we shout and praise God? Hallelujah! Hallelujah! Praise the Lord! Hallelujah! Glory to God! Amen. Praise God. Amen. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, we honor you, we glorify you. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for everything that you did for us upon the cross. You died for us, carrying our sicknesses, our diseases upon your own self, and by your stripes we have been healed. Thank you, Lord. And you said where two or three of us are gathered together in your name, you're there in the midst of them, so we acknowledge your presence. We ask you to reach out your hand and touch us, touch our hearts, touch our lives, heal those that are sick. And Lord, for everything that you do, we covenant to give you all the glory, the honor, and the praise because you alone are worthy. In the name of Jesus, amen. Praise God. Praise God. Please be seated. Now, I want to, uh, I actually, I didn't do this in the first service. I, 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 I had some pictures, some slides, so, but I will just show you the first four pictures, okay? Can we do that, Pastor? Do you have those slides up? So i just show you four pictures and just do, this is what I do. Okay, yeah, here is somewhere in Asia, which I'm not allowed to divulge. Only 1% of the population in this area are Christians, so we are doing gospel crusades there. And the next one, next slide. This is another crusade in the same region. The next one, another crusade in the same general region. And the next one, this is another crusade in the same region. So a lot of people are coming to Jesus and we are planting churches in this area. We have a church planting school. Next picture. Okay, these are some military people who are protecting us. Next picture. This is our team there. Next picture. Little boy deaf and dumb begin to hear and to speak. Next picture. Little girl deaf and dumb begin to hear and to speak. Next one, this girl had kidneys had shut down. Limbs were swollen, lost her eyesight, and in an instant, the Lord healed her. She was, next picture, this is a little kid who had never stood nor walked, walking for the first time. And the next picture, that this woman, she was like a vegetable. She was lame, blind, unresponsive, couldn't see, couldn't hear, couldn't speak, and God raised her up, and, you know, they had brought her in a car, and... Uh, the Lord touched her in the car and she got up and walked. Thank you for your enthusiasm. And the next, next picture. Next picture, this man, he, he was demon possessed. He had lost his mind, didn't know who he was, didn't re recognize anybody in his family, didn't know his own name. And the next one, uh, this is the last picture, blind one. But I put this picture of the guy on the left. He's a Roman Catholic priest. And these Catholics, they love me, you know. They, they have been helping us. And they say, Pastor, you plant your churches here. We want to help you. So it's been a great blessing. So anyway, praise God. So praise God. Okay, let's go to Acts chapter 1. Okay, that's my message today. 
Acts chapter 1, and I want to talk to you about the last words of Jesus, the last words that Jesus spoke when he was on this earth before he ascended to heaven. So uh, I'm going to start reading from verse 4. It says, And being assembled together with them, commanded, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which saith he have heard of me. For John truly baptized with water. In a few days you shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost, not many days hence. So um, this was his last day, and Jesus called the disciples together. And uh, he commanded them. Everybody say commanded. So this was not a suggestion, but a commandment. And the commandment was that they should not leave Jerusalem, but they should be baptized with the Holy Ghost. So to be baptized with the Holy Ghost with the speaking of other tongues is a direct commandment from Jesus. Jesus commands that every believer should be baptized with the Holy Ghost and speak with other tongues. Amen? It is not offered to us as an option, but it is a commandment, okay? So when he said this, uh, look at their reaction. So verse 6, when they therefore were come together, they asked of him, saying, Lord, will thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? Interesting response. And, the first, and for many years I used to wonder, where were they coming from? What were they thinking? You know, because Jesus is talking about them being baptized with the Holy Spirit and they're talking about the restoration of the kingdom to Israel. And until I began to study some church history, and that's when I understood what was really, you know, what they were thinking. Because, you know, we, we tend to interpret scriptures through the prism uh, of our experiences, of, this, of our circumstances. That's what people tend to do. So what had happened was this. Uh, the Israelites were a very proud nation because they knew, they knew they were unique. They were in covenant with God. They had a special relationship with God. The laws of God were given through Israel. All the prophets who came and prophesied, they, were, they came, you know, they were Israelites. So they were very aware of their uniqueness, of their special position. And uh, they had their own kingdom, their own kings. But when Jesus came to the scene, the Israelites had been under foreign occupation for almost four centuries. They had lost their kingdom for about four centuries. And during these four centuries, all they wanted was to be free. They yearned for their old kingdom of Israel to be reestablished. So what they did was they, they began to... Uh, interpret all the messianic scriptures that talked about the Messiah uh, as if they, they, you know, they begin to believe that the Messiah would be some kind of military figure. He would, he would throw out their enemies and he would liberate Israel and restore the kingdom. So they were looking for a deliverer. So what had happened was that first it was the Babylonians who occupied them, then the Greeks, and now the Romans, and that's when Jesus came. And during these four centuries, there had been many, many uprisings. There were strong men who had risen up and led uprisings, but each one of these uprisings had been crushed. There was one man, he had limited success. He led a semi-successful uprising. His name was Judas Maccabeus. So if you go to Israel, his name is, he's like a folk hero, Judas Maccabeus. So anyway, so then came Jesus into the scene, and these people were looking for a deliverer. And there were two things unique about Jesus. The first thing was the power of his words, because when he would speak, 
people would come under great conviction. I mean, their hearts were gripped. And uh, that was the first thing. So he gathered a lot of people. People followed him. The second thing about Jesus was that Jesus had miracles. I mean, things happened around Jesus like they had never seen before. Lame people walked, blind eyes were opened, even dead people were raised up. So there were people who began to follow Jesus around and they wanted Jesus to be the one who would lead them you know, in the next uprising and deliver them uh, from the Romans. And if you remember, after the feeding of the 5,000, uh, 5, uh, the people wanted to make Jesus their king by force. It actually says that. They tried, they wanted to make Jesus their king by force. But Jesus was not even interested in leading their, you know, their uprising. In fact, in his three and a half years of ministry, he seemed to be total oblivious to, totally oblivious to what was going on around him because he never uh, addressed the way the Romans were treating his own people, uh, the, the oppression, the cruelty. He never criticized the Romans. He never made a political statement against the Romans. He, he never even mentioned those things. The only thing he did, he talked about his father, he talked about the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. These are the things he talked about. And you can imagine the growing frustration that these people had. And then he rides into Jerusalem just before the Passover. And then they hail him as their king. Hosanna to the king who comes in the name of the Lord. And, and what does Jesus do? He goes and dies upon the cross. And when he dies on the cross, their dreams also die with him. But on the third day, he made the ultimate comeback. He rose again from the dead. And when he rose again from the dead, their dreams were also resurrected and they followed him around. And for 40 days, he was with them. And the Bible says he talked about things pertaining to the kingdom of God. And now comes the last day. And they are waiting for him to get the revelation, to understand that you are the one who's going to lead us. So now on the last day, he says, okay, boys, come together. Let me tell you something. Don't leave Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which I have told you about. Because John baptized with water, in a few days you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And they said, oh, is that when you're going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And then he destroyed their hopes for the last time by saying, it's not for you to know the times and the seasons that the Father himself has Chosen, but, but the Holy Spirit is going to come. Now, which was, very, um, which was a very radical thought, because for the Jewish people, any kind of communion between man and God was unthinkable. Any kind of closeness between man and God was unthinkable, because God was so holy that the Jews weren't, wouldn't even pronounce his name because his name was too holy. Uh, you know, we say God's name is Yahweh, but a Jew would never say Yahweh. I mean, the name of Yahweh is too holy to be pronounced by human lips. So there was this chasm, this great uh, you know, gap between man and God. And Jesus comes with this new radical thought. He says, the Holy Spirit is going to come upon you. The third person of the Trinity is going to come upon you. Now, who is the Holy Spirit? You know, normally uh, the Christians' understanding, 
of, the, of God is this, that there is one God, which is true, and he has revealed himself as three persons. There's one God. There's no three gods, one God, but he has revealed himself as three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And the Father is this old man in heaven with a permanent frown on his forehead because he's fed up of our antics, you know. He's angry at us, and we have sermons like sinners in the hands of an angry God, you know. He's He's permanently angry. Then we have Jesus, who is the nice guy, because he, he, he understands us, you know, and he loves, all we talk about the love of Jesus, how much he loves us. No matter what we do, he still loves us, you know, because he's been here. Then we have the Holy Spirit. Uh, he's shapeless, formless, and uh, nobody knows what he's like. And uh, we've got paintings of Jesus, so we have an idea of what he looks like. Holy Spirit is shapeless, and he can show up at any time. We can be holding a service and suddenly you feel a tingling on your left leg or right leg and you go, ooh, rabba and you say, ooh, the Holy Spirit is here. Do you feel that, Brother Sanford? Ooh, I feel that he's here. And then you go home feeling, you know, the Holy Spirit was there, man. I hope he shows up next Sunday also, you know. So we, so, but go to understand, the Holy Spirit isn't a thing or a substance or an experience. He's a person. He's as much a person as the Father and the Son. The Holy Spirit has emotions. He can speak to us. Now, here's the thing. When I say the Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity, I don't mean he's number three or he's junior. Because the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, they are co-equal. The difference is that the Father is on the throne in heaven. Jesus, he came to this earth, redeemed us, died, rose up again. He went back to heaven. He's the right hand of the, at the right hand of the Father. But the Holy Spirit is here. The Father and the Son are in heaven, but the Holy Spirit is here. And everything that the Father and the Son say or do, they do so through the Holy Spirit. And that is why our relationship with the Holy Spirit is of utmost importance. That's why Jesus says, the Holy Spirit shall come upon you. So now he said that 2,000 years ago as a promise, the Holy Spirit shall come upon you. But that, the Holy Spirit is already here. He came 2,000 years ago and he's already here. So then it becomes personal because not only shall the Holy Spirit come, but he shall come upon you. So my question to you as a believer is, has the Holy Spirit come upon you? Has he or hasn't he? And secondly, if he has come upon you, what is the depth of your surrender? Because it's not really a question of how much of the Holy Spirit do I have, but it's a matter of how much of me does the Holy Spirit have? Does he have the totality of me? Have I yielded myself? Because the Holy Spirit will never force himself on me. He will only take as much as I give him. So have I given myself to him totally? What is the depth? What is the level of my surrender? So he says, when the Holy Spirit shall come upon you. So the Holy Spirit is waiting. He's here, but he's waiting to come upon you, to fill you. And then what happens, he says, when the Holy Spirit shall come upon you, you shall receive power. The first thing that you shall receive when the Holy Spirit shall come upon you is that you shall receive power. And that word power is the word dynamis, which in the Greek uh, means 
God's miracle working power. In today's language, you could call it as brute force. Brute force, the power of God. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you shall receive power. And that is the same word as we see in Mark chapter 5. When You remember when the woman with the issue of blood came and touched Jesus and he said, somebody touched me because virtue flowed from me. Remember? Somebody touched me because I felt something flow from me. That same divine substance that flowed from Jesus and healed that woman, Jesus is saying, that same divine substance shall flow from you. When the Holy Spirit shall come upon you, the same divine substance that flowed from me and healed that woman shall flow from you. That is the promise of God, beloved. And that can only be appropriated by faith. Our expectations have to rise to the level of God's promises. So if God says, the Holy Spirit shall come upon you and you shall receive power, then you know, the best thing you can do is saying, Holy Spirit, I yield myself to you. I ask you to come upon me. And so by faith, you receive the power of God and you, then you begin to act on it. You begin to act. You see, you have to begin to act on it. You've got to put legs on your faith because God always moves when man moves. Amen. God moves when man moves. The miracle working power is something God wants to deposit in us, but we have to set it into motion. When the Holy Spirit shall come upon you, you shall receive power. And then it tells us why we shall receive this power. It says, so you can be my witnesses. A witness is somebody who can give evidence in court. Somebody, you know, I once witnessed a crime many, many years ago, and the police saw me there, and they took my name and my address and my phone number, and two weeks later, I received, received a summons to the court, and the criminal was there, and I was there. There were other people who were there, and finally, I was called up as a witness, and the first thing they asked me, were you there? Were you at the scene of the crime? Did you actually see it happen. Now, if I said I wasn't there, I read, read about it in the newspaper, I'm not a witness. A witness is somebody who has seen and experienced something. And I am a witness to the fact that Jesus Christ is not dead, but he's alive. That's what I'm a witness of, that Jesus is alive. He's still the savior. He's still the healer. He's still the deliverer. He's not dead, but he's alive. Hallelujah. That's what I'm a witness of. And that is my testimony. So you shall be my witnesses. We shall give evidence to the world that Jesus Christ is not dead. He's not the figment of somebody's religious um, imagination. But he is a real person. And not, is he, not only is he real, but he is real. And he's alive today. Hallelujah. So you shall be my witnesses. Then it tells us where we shall be witnesses. We shall be witnesses, he said, in Jerusalem. Jerusalem, that was their home turf. Judea, there was a greater geographical, geographical territory where the Jews lived. In Samaria, these were people with another religion who were different culturally. They were different. 
In fact, they had the Jews and the Samaritans have nothing to do with one another socially because when Jesus was talking to the Samaritan woman, she said, why are you even talking to me? Our people have no dealings with each other. You worship in Jerusalem, we worship on this mountain. But Jesus said, you shall be my witnesses in Samaria. And then he said, to the uttermost parts of the earth, to places far away, you shall go to places far away and tell them that Jesus is not dead, but he's alive. Hallelujah. And, uh, you know, for me personally, uh, <clears throat> the first place I went to that I can say is the uttermost parts of the earth was, uh, I was preaching in Jakarta, and my friend there, the pastor, he said, Brother, uh, get your stuff ready, pack your suitcase tomorrow. We are going to a place which we call the uttermost parts of the earth. I said, where is that? He says, a place, place called Irian Jaya. It's a six and a half hours flight. Can you imagine? Six and a half hours flight and you're still in Indonesia. So I get on the plane and we land in Irian Jaya. It's different. Jakarta is a big city. This place is all jungle. And he said, there's no roads in the interior. Uh, we land in Jayapura. And then from there, you can only get about, get around in a smaller aircraft or or you know, in a helicopter. So we're going to do a crusade in a small place in the jungles. I said, okay, I was excited, you know. He says, now, uh, we call it the ends of the earth because this place is totally uncivilized. He says, the first thing you'll notice is that, that, is that the people don't wear any clothes. No clothes? He said, they walk around completely naked. And my thought was, how do they protect themselves from mosquitoes? And he said, well, they rubbed themselves with pig fat. I said, oh, that's not. Anyway, and then he said, they walk around completely naked. And he said, and in the interior, they practice cannibalism. Cannibalism, and you're bringing me here. He said, no, no, you don't have anything to worry about because they prefer to eat white people. <laughs> I said, so you mean because I'm brown, I'm safe? He said, yeah. You know, some people like white meat, some people like dark meat. When I, go, when I go to Kentucky Fried Chicken, I always say dark meat, you know. So these people like white meat. So anyway, so, so I, we landed at the airport, and I'm waiting for my luggage. And uh, in walks a man, completely nude. He's not wearing anything on his body except Ray-Ban sunglasses and a New York Yankees baseball cap, and he has a Diet Coke in his hand. And I, I said to the pastor, I said, brother, isn't it amazing that American culture has reached this place before the gospel? Ends of the earth. You shall be my witnesses. We shall go to places far away and preach the gospel. Hallelujah to the ends of the earth. Now, another place, and I want to close with this, talking about the ends of the earth, is uh, many, many years ago, I think it was 1998, that's, oh my goodness, that's like 20, 25 years ago, I went to Burma for the first time. And Burma at that time, you know, they had this dictatorship, persecution, it was very, very difficult situation, nobody, Hardly anybody went there, but I went there. God opened a door for me to preach. I went to Burma and I preached, and we, you know, we had a move of God. People were saved, healed, and then I left. 
after I came back, I heard that they, the army came and they arrested the pastors, beat them, tortured them. It was a very difficult situation. And they said to me, they wrote to me, Pastor, we want you back, but please wait one year until things calm down. So I was back a year later. And uh, the first place I was in preaching, first meeting, we were worshiping God, and I, I was laying on the floor, prostrate on the floor, when suddenly I saw an open vision. Now, an open vision is when I'm wide awake, I'm completely awake, but if I was to see an open vision right now, I'd be completely awake like I'm right now, but I wouldn't be seeing you. I would see the vision. That would be the uh, reality I'm seeing. And I'd never seen an open vision before, but I see this open vision, and God began to speak to me about different things. And I saw three long open visions for five days, in five days. And the third open vision, the Lord began to speak to me. He said, I want you to come back to this country and preach the gospel like you do in Africa, do open-air gospel crusades, and I want you to plant churches. I said, Lord, that's a great idea. It needs to be done, but could you find somebody else to do it? And the Lord said, why? I said, because I don't fancy being tortured. There are other preachers who seem to enjoy being tortured because they write books about how I was arrested and beaten and they're gluttons for punishment. Why don't you find one of them and tell them to go to Burma? You can get beaten and tortured even more and let me off the hook. And then the Lord said, do you remember what you said to me in the summer of 1977? And I said, do you really have to bring that up? I got saved in 75. And 1976, I, almost the entire year I spent in prison for preaching the gospel. And 1977, I was a refugee in Europe and I was in Belgium. I was with an organization called Operation Mobilization. And we had a summer conference that had 7,000 people. And the founder of OM uh, was a man called George Verver. George, Pastor George is like, yeah, I think it's 80-something, mid-80s now. And he was very fervent and fiery, and he would challenge us and preach to us and told us, unless you're willing to lay down your life for Jesus, you're wasting your life. And he was, I mean, he was really pressing hard, and I was you know, getting stirred in my heart. So somebody introduced me to him, and he took an, uh, an uh, interest in me because, I think because I was a refugee. And he gave me a book. He said, I want you to read this book. And it was called the Calvary Road. It was about laying down your life, about the crucified life. I began to read that book, and uh, the, by the time I read the first chapter, I was on my knees and I was weeping. It was having an effect on my heart. I read the whole book on my knees, weeping. Then I went to return the book to him, and he said, no, no, you keep hold on to this book. I'm going to give you another book. And that book, I looked at the title, and that title scared me. It was called Come, Live, and Die. And so, so he said, I want you to read this. And I was reading this. I was crying even more. By that time, he had me totally prepped, you know. And then one day, he, while he's, when he's preaching, he finishes preaching one of his fiery messages. And then he says, now, he did like an altar call. He says, 
those of you who want to lay down your life for Jesus and you're even willing to die and lay down your life for the gospel and you will go anywhere the Lord sends you, I want you to come to the front. And I, stupid as I was, I jumped up and I came running to the front and I went on my knees and I was weeping, tears flowing down my cheeks. I uttered words that I have always regretted. And I said, Jesus, send me. Here I am. Send me. Send me wherever you want me to go. I'm willing to die for you. Yeah, in fact, you can send me. If you don't want to use me, kill me right here, right now. I'm, I'm willing to go. And so I decided I'm going to live single and just give my life preaching the gospel somewhere. I'll find some place where I can die and preach there. And, you know, and I was so you know, fired up. Then I came to Sweden and I got political asylum there and... I was in church and, you know, my resolve was strong. I'm going to live single and preach the gospel until I met this beautiful girl in church. And when I saw her, my knees began to have fellowship. And we have been married to her for 43 years. And my knees still have fellowship when I see her. We have three kids. And then everything changed, you know. And I said, you know, I, 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 I'm enjoying my life, you know. So... So all, all that thing about dying and laying down my life, that, that was gone. And now the Lord is saying to me, he's saying, uh, do you remember what you said in the summer of 77? And I said, yeah, I remember, Lord. But you know, when you're young, you say stupid things that you regret later on. And that was one of my moments. And I, I really meant it then. But now, you know, I have this family. I've got kids, grandkids. And, you know, I'm enjoying my life. And the Lord said, well... You tell everybody when you're preaching to hold me to my word. Why can't I hold you to your word? So I said, okay, fine, I'll go. You want me to go to Burma and I'll go. But I said only on one condition. I said, I want the Holy Ghost to go with me. Because you don't want to go to a place like that on your own without the Holy Ghost. And the Lord said, fine. I said, but not the Holy Ghost of the churches in America where you line people up and you give them a little push and they do a courtesy fall. And you say, well, we had a great service. I said, not that Holy Ghost. I said, I want the book of Acts Holy Ghost. Where the lame walk, the blind see, because in a place like that, only that kind of thing will have an impact. So anyway, so I'm back in Burma the, year, the next year preaching my first crusade. And here I am preaching altar call. People, many people get, got saved and I'm praying for the sick. So for some reason, they put all the sick on one side and they were bringing them in front of me and I'm praying for the sick and people are getting healed and I, out of the corner of my eyes, I see this man, uh, he's wearing hospital pajamas, you know, striped pajamas. And there's three people holding him up. He, looks, he looked like a dead body. He was like a skeleton. He was terminally ill. They had brought him from the hospital. And he, he looked like a dead body. And there were two people holding these IV bottles, you know, with fluids. And there were these tubes going into his arms. And, and I was wondering who he was when suddenly he just slid down to the floor. And he lay there with his eyes wide open, with his mouth open. And uh, then they shouted something because very few people spoke English. And there was a group of doctors and nurses that jumped 
to their feet and they ran and they began to work on him. And uh, one of the doctors, he spoke to me, he shouted in English across the crowd. He said, Pastor, he's dead. I thought, he's dead? I've never had a, die, a person die in my meeting. Nobody should die in a Pentecostal meeting. And, and I, I, I had no idea what I'm going to do. I mean, what do I do? Uh, uh, you know, someone dies in your meeting. I don't know what to do. So I, I thought, okay, I have a strategy here. I'll be praying for the people here and the dead bodies there. And then we'll close the meeting. They'll take the body away and everyone will forget about it. And I was thinking, this is what I'm going to do. When one of the ushers, that fool, he, he grabbed the dead body by the wrists and he dragged him across the floor and put him right in front of me. And now I have to do something about it. And I'm thinking, you know, when I went to Rama Bible Training Center in Tulsa, Oklahoma, they never taught me anything about this. I learned a lot of other things, but this is something I never learned. And in fact, I was thinking, is there any pastor I know who has ever told me a story of raising the dead? No. I've never seen it been done. I never met anyone who has actually raised. The only place I've seen it is in the Bible. And, you know, and, and that's it. So I didn't know what to do. And then suddenly, uh, <laughs> I'm wondering what to do. And all these people are watching me, you know, and they, 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 they don't know Jesus, you know, they, they're just there. And I thought, okay, so what do I do? Then I suddenly remembered there was an old man of God. I met him. He was very old. And uh, if he was alive today, he would have been 130 years old. He was a very old man when I was a young guy. And I remember I was in his house, and he used to preach to me. And so one day I was sitting, talking to me. He leaned over. He sat on the edge of his chair, and he pointed his finger at me. And he said, Brother, remember this. When you don't know what to do, the Holy Ghost always knows. And suddenly I could see his face pointing his finger at me, telling me, when you don't know what to do, the Holy Ghost always knows. So I said, okay, the Holy Ghost knows what to do. I don't know, so this is what I'm going to do. And I, I, suddenly I knew what to do, and the Holy Ghost would do it. So you know what I did? I thought, I'll look like a fool doing this in front of all these people, but if I'm going to be a fool, I will do it loud and proud, you know? So I put the microphone to my face, and I shouted, And my interpreter said, what did you say, pastor? I said, I don't have the foggiest idea. I said, just stay with me, okay? Stand next to me. I might need you. And then I began to shout in tongues. When like 15, 20 minutes, you know what happened? Nothing. So I said, okay, I'm going to. So then I decided, I'm going to shout in tongues until something happens. I'm not going to stop. I'm going to pray in tongues because the Holy Ghost knows what's going to happen because I have no idea. The Holy Ghost has to do it. So I was shouting in tongues. Like people stared at me like you are staring at me right now. 
exactly the same expressions. After about half an hour, I began to feel some heat rising on my in, in my legs, and I thought, oh, this must be the fire of the Holy Ghost, you know. Uh, God is fixing to do something. So I shifted gears, and I'm going, You know, I was not looking at my watch. Could have been 45 minutes more. I just kept on, And then suddenly, I heard a shout, Hallelujah! And I opened my eyes. It was the dead man. He had shot up from the floor, and he was standing on his feet with his hands in, his, in the air, and he was praising God. God had raised him up. You know when that happened, I saw, I got the bull by the horns. I'm going to preach the gospel. And we went all over Burma from that point onwards. We did crusades in spite of persecution. We preached the gospel. And in the subsequent years, I saw at least four people raised from the dead. I saw God open blind eyes, deaf ears, crippled people walk. Children who were deformed were healed. I even remember a woman, somebody had shot an arrow into her eye. So one, they, she had an empty socket because they had taken the eye out. You know, it had just collapsed. And I saw God create a brand new eye in that blank socket. And we saw miracles all over the place. And people came coming to Jesus by the thousands. But the greatest thing was that we could plant 178 churches in areas unreached by the gospel. Hallelujah. And, uh, you know, I came away from that. And there were several things I learned. The first thing, the first thing I learned, and when I said learned, it's not just, you know, you, you know something in your head, but a deep, deep conviction that you know is really true. Do you understand what I mean? When you have a deep, unshakable conviction that something is really true. My first thing was I learned that Jesus Christ is truly the same today as he was in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. That same Jesus of the Gospels is still the same today. And I realize, you know, what a wonderful privilege it is for us to walk with him. Like Jesus walked with his 12 disciples, we can walk with him. Like they saw his miracles, we can see his miracles. He is truly the same today. He has not changed at all. Hallelujah. That's the first thing. The second thing I learned is that the Holy Ghost who came down on the day of Pentecost is still here today. He still does the same thing. He still, when he fills us and dwells in us, and he still does the very same things today. Hallelujah. I realize I'm not baptized with ashes. I'm baptized with fire. Same fire that came down on the day of Pentecost can burn in our hearts. The third thing, you know what that was? That this Bible is still the word of the living God. And that when you believe this Bible and you preach this Bible, 
God will confirm this word with his wonder-working power. It is still the word of God. It hasn't changed. Hallelujah. You can believe it and God will do it. The fourth thing I learned is that the gospel is still powerful. When the gospel is preached, the gospel still changes people's lives. Hallelujah. Praise God. You shall receive power when the Holy Ghost shall come upon you. And you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea and in Samaria, and unto the ends of the earth. Hallelujah. Let's bow our heads together. While your heads are bowed, I know this Sunday morning, and, but I don't know you folks, but I want to ask if there's anyone here and you say, Pastor Christopher, if I was to die, I don't know whether I'm going to heaven or to hell. I don't know whether I'm saved or I need to make things right with God. If that is the condition of your soul, you need your sins forgiven. You need to give your life to Jesus. You need to make things right with God. If that is the condition of your soul, can you show me a hand right now because I want to pray with you. Anybody, anybody like that, God bless you, sir. God bless you, madam. God bless you. God bless you right there. Anybody else, you need to make things. God bless you, madam. God bless you, madam. Anybody else, you need to make things right with God. This is your opportunity. Okay, praise God. Those of you who put your hands up, could you please stand to your feet? I don't want to embarrass you, but Jesus carried the cross for me. And sometimes, it's, you know, Jesus said it very clearly. He said, if you acknowledge me before men, I will acknowledge you before my Father. But if you deny me before men, I will deny you before my Father. So you say, I need to get right with God. I need my sins forgiven or I need to be saved. Lift your hands up and then stand to your feet. Stand to your feet. Stand to your feet. Okay, those of you who are standing, could you please come to the front? Just come to the front and join me. Just join me in the front. And please make a line right here on this side. If you make a line right here. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. God bless you. The Lord bless you. Thank you, Father, for these precious people. Thank you for their lives. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. Anybody else? If you're sitting there and your heart is saying to you, I shouldn't be sitting down, but I should be standing with these people, then you can come up. Is there anybody? I'll wait a few more seconds. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Jesus. If your heart says to you, I shouldn't be sitting down, but I should be in front with these people, this is your opportunity. God bless you, sir. You did the right thing. Anybody else? listen to a production of Cornerstone Community Church. Please note that all unauthorized reproduction, distribution, or sale of the recording is prohibited. For permission to reproduce or distribute the sermon, please write into mail at cscc.org.sg. We hope that you have been blessed.